Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Talking Smack, where we talk superheroes, movies, animation, and comics. I am your host, Josh Scar, and joining me this week is Alex. Alex, how you been? Doing pretty well. I survived a week in the woods with no cell phone service, Wi-Fi service, no basic amenities like hot water and and friendship. The dear miss of friendship, but I survived. <laughs> uh, yeah, the woods, they're awful. Mm-hmm. Don't Don't recommend it. Oh, no, no. I just don't recommend it because I found out something. There's something called horse flies, which are like four times the regular size of house flies. And they apparently like to bite you and eat your blood. Yep. Uh, one of my my nieces uh, on my wife's side, she came to visit and uh, we were visiting at my in-law's house, which they live out in the country. So there are plenty of horse flies out there. And uh, yeah, she got bit and uh, my now ex-sister-in-law was not happy about it. She's just kind of having a fit about her kid getting hurt by the most random act of nature. So I, I was kind of like, lady, please. Yeah, uh, the, the part that terrified me the most was is that we were sitting in a cabin. And so there were and so we have, you know, these big bay glass windows and you can hear little thunks occasionally. And so I finally went over to the window to look at it and they were slamming themselves into the glass trying to get into the house. That's the part that scared the hell out of me. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, yeah, that is scary. So I have touched on political things in the past, and uh, I feel it would be remiss if I didn't touch on this really quickly. Roe v. Wade was officially overturned this last week, and it's a bunch of bullshit. I really don't know what to do with anything anymore because it just feels like we're getting closer and closer to uh, like a, re- a religious oligarchy kind of government. I hope I'm overreacting, but it is terrifying and it's, oh my God, we're in such a shit show. Abortion is healthcare. That is the main point of anything that I say here right now. Regardless of any reasons anyone would need an abortion, abortion should be available to everyone. If you don't believe in abortion, don't get one. You should not be able to make anyone who wants one not be able to get one because of your belief system. It's a bunch of bullshit and you don't know anyone's situation other than your own. Stop projecting on people there. There's no reason for the government to regulate this sort of thing. It's it's a healthcare issue that should not be regulated by any means. And again, regardless of the reason someone would want an abortion, it should still be available to people. That's that's my stance on this. I am so mad and infuriated that. This is even an issue we have to still talk about. And I hope somewhere, somehow in the very near future that this is able to be resolved in a way that everyone has access to this safe, healthy version of of abortions within their own states. They don't have to travel and companies don't have to offer compensation for this procedure. Makes sense. We shouldn't be relying upon the benevolence of a company to provide access to basic health care. Exactly. So we're here to talk Obi-Wan and talk just a little bit to maybe offer a distraction for a little bit of your day. But first, we're going to hear from Dan and Lou at Casting Views, which I was recently uh, a guest on. That episode just released this past Sunday. So if you haven't listened to that, I'll link that in the description. But you can also listen to any of their episodes. The Casting Views is just such a great show in general. It's a great way to wake up on Sunday mornings to hear a couple of uh, a British uncle and nephew just talking about the most random crap ever. It's it's great. So uh, here's Dan and Lou, and we'll be right back. 
I'm Dan. I'm Lou, and together we are Casting Views. An uncle and nephew chatting on random topics, some heavy, some fun, but we aim to amuse. Don't miss out, don't delay. Subscribe to Casting Views today. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor, and Good Pods. And we are back, and we are here to talk about the recently concluded Disney Plus series Obi-Wan Kenobi. So let's let's really just dive right into it. Alex, what were your initial thoughts? I was just confused. That was my initial feeling on it. I was not sure what kind of story we were going to get. And it started off with Order 66, which apparently is the theme of every spinoff we're getting now. It has to be shown in, in uh, The Mandalorian. It has to be shown in Boba Fett. And has to be shown here as well. I understand it's in it's a touch point for you know, especially when you have something like Clone Wars and Rebels, and it's dealing with the fallout of that. Especially since they're trying to bridge between three and four. I was just not sure how it was eventually going to tie back into all that. But there is something comforting about seeing Ewan McGregor back, um, especially since he's got you know it's been what eighteen ish years since Episode Four. Uh, three and he's got some age to him a bit of weathering you know he's entering his 50s now i, I liked seeing him looking more and more like uh, Al- uh alec guinness of course we are back on tattooing which is always interesting seeing uncle owen and, Bur- and aunt burr was nice but i did admit i felt a little bit lost with this whole random third sister fifth sister second uncle fourth cousin your uh, great aunt uh, system that is they're sifts but not sifts but the first episode or two i was mostly just writing this out to see what they had wanted to tell me the first two episodes i definitely feel like could have been whittled down into one episode but they they padded it out because this was transitioned from a movie into a series uh after i believe solo flopped i think that the first episode really could have been whittled down to maybe even like 20, 25 minutes. Uh, we're establishing Obi-Wan as Ben and he's broken, but he's still watching Luke out of his duty kind of cut himself off from the force because of his depression. And he, uh, the loss of Anakin and just the falling of the Republic. I was, I was invested in the series from the get go. There, there is a lot of fluff that I think could be taken out and, we get a lot of stuff in there that I think is good. Opening on Order 66 just felt like really obvious foreshadowing, especially once we're introduced to Reva. We just see how aggressive she is in that cantina. Uh, it's like, oh, she was one of the younglings. Like she's clearly trying, striving for something greater or trying to overcompensate for something. And this, this is what it is. She was a youngling and she's trying to prove herself as a, a not Sith, as a an inquisitor and we just have to see what happens with this ride because again, we're opening with this order 66 thing to me again, it it just felt like obvious foreshadowing, especially since we didn't see Obi-Wan or Anakin in those opening moments. Yeah, that makes sense. The foreshadowing of uh, Moses Ingram being, being a youngling. I think that was episode five. Wasn't it? They finally got this multiple, multiple backlash scenes. I think that makes sense. It was just more that my continued, um, malaise with anything star wars seems to be the obsession of what happened between three and four is the most important things to ever happen except none of what they're filling in is ever addressed in four through six this basically felt like they were plugging in the hole of how does 
Leia name her child Ben when she never actually met him in the Death Star moment in A New Hope. This is how and why. It it actually is kind of close to what uh, another Talking Smack host and I, uh, Scotty, had discussed years ago where uh, our dream Obi-Wan movie that we had like concocted in our heads while talking during a work shift was Owen ends up joining Obi-Wan on an adventure off planet because you can't have a fulfilling story on Tatooine. I'm sorry. Book of Boba Fett fans. <laughs> How dare you? I mean, the best episodes are when they go off planet to talk to the Mandalorian. Yeah, truly. So he he ends up going off planet for whatever reason. In this case, it's to rescue Leia because Bale can't let anyone know that she's been kidnapped. And uh, so he, he recruits Obi-Wan and in, in the version Scotty and I created, Owen goes with him as like the sidekick character, which this ends up being kind of Leia and Tala uh, in this series. But throughout the adventure, it basically solidifies Owen's stance of like, Luke's never going into space. Luke's never leaving this planet. Luke's going to just stay here and be a farmer because space is terrifying and adventures are awful. <laughs> so basically you're going to Bilbo Baggins him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I can get that. You've got Joel Edgerton. Like, why would you have Joel Edgerton cast in this thing if you're not going to use him? Yeah, it's true. So to briefly reach back, because I actually had a note about this. This is what I see, I believe happens. Lucasfilm, they're like talking about what they want to do. Like, what are we going to film? What are we going to do? And they have, and they look at the big board of quote unquote plot holes that neckbeards have posted about on Twitter and Reddit. And they look at the board and they say, what can we solve on this board by telling the story? And in episode six, which I think is the strongest of the episodes, one of them went, you told me Vader killed my father. Well, yes, from a certain point of view. And they grabbed that one and went, we got this one and they slammed it down the table and they said, what if Vader says that? What if Anakin says to Obi-Wan, no, you didn't kill Anakin. I did. Boom. Plot hole solved, man. He's just quoting directly from the source. <laughs> and then there was a bunch of high fives around the table. Somebody said, here's a hundred million dollars. They popped the champagne. <laughs> and so, and they started dancing lights dropped. And it's just like from Tropic Thunder when Les Grossman starts doing his dance with, you know, the boots and the fur. That is what that, when that line happened, I was so invested and we'll get there, but it was so invested until that was said. And then I went, well, in a plot hole. Good on them. <laughs> yeah. I, I actually had been thinking about how, the show was just moving along at a clip and telling a fun story. And then they did that. And it's like, Oh yeah, they're, they're fixing a plot hole kind of thing, or they're just reaffirming a, a storyline. I, I really enjoyed that moment though, especially because of the lighting, because in that moment we're again, we're jumping ahead, but we're just openly discussing the show. So in that moment, you have a little bit of blue and red on, on uh, Vader and you have a little bit of blue and red on, Obi-Wan and as like the dialogue continues the the red fades from Obi-Wan and the blue fades from Vader until at the end of it once he says something to the effect of I'm not your failure Obi-Wan you didn't kill Anakin I did the minute he says I did the blue fades from his face and it's just completely engulfed in the red lightsaber glow and Obi-Wan is shown in completely in blue kind of symbolizing that his guilt of not killing Anakin or not saving Anakin is gone because 
when Anakin fell to the dark side, Vader killed Anakin essentially. And they, they reaffirm it and all that sort of stuff. But the, the symbolism within the lighting is obvious, but it's so good. And the, the performance in that moment, um, one thing that I really need to, to praise is James Earl Jones brought it in this performance. Uh, in rogue one, he was, he sounded older, which I mean, obviously he is, but it, it just felt a little off in rogue one. But in this, I was like, yeah, that's Vader. Yeah. And when we get to that final fight uh, in episode six, this is going to be really weirdly articulated. So I apologize. I hope it makes sense. It sounded like when he was yelling at Obi-Wan and he was talking to Obi-Wan when he was, uh, I had the upper hand and before he like knocks him down into the pit, it really sounded like they had Hayden Christensen read these lines as if he were Anakin as Darth Vader. And then they had James Earl Jones listen to it a couple times. And then James Earl Jones emulated the way Hayden Christensen says those lines, because it, it really doesn't sound like that stoic Vader. Like there's, there's aggression and anger to it. And I was like, I could hear James Earl Jones as Hayden Christensen or Hayden Christensen as James Earl Jones saying those lines. And it just sounds so good. No, that makes a lot of sense. They have the final confrontation. I was not impressed by where they were because I very, I very truly thought that they're like, okay, we're on a desert again. We're on some random desert planet. I think they called Tenen or Teshin or something like that. And it's just another random desert and there's stalactites. Then when they're moving through them, I'm like, and then they're moving through them. I'm like, okay, so we're just in Dagobah now because this felt very similarly filmed to Empire Strikes Back. Luke heads into the dark side area and it's that kind of oppressiveness with these tall branchless trees, which now they have these columns that they're working on. I wasn't really impressed until they started doing the lighting when they actually brought some depth and tone to the shimmer of the two of them. That is when I started actually getting invested in the scene. And I was then really completely sold when Obi-Wan decides to just go at Anakin and sm starts smashing him in the breathing, in the chest piece to knock out the breathing apparatus. And the whole wheezing breathing that is directly taken from episode six, where his, after he's killed um, the emperor and his body's malfunctioning, I was like, I, it brought me back to those moments with Luke. And then Obi-Wan, I don't know how the hell he did it. The, the physics of it, I'm not sure, but smashes open Vader's helmet in half. And you see the line and you like, you see the, the battered face and the way they modulated Hayden's voice with Vader's voice, like putting them both together. And sometimes Hayden's voice is a little bit stronger. Sometimes James Earl Jones is a little bit, is a little bit stronger. They're going in and out of the two of them during the, that, that discussion was so beautifully done. And you mentioned the lighting. I was sold on the voice work, like the, the intensity of the eye. And actually I, I'm going to have to rewatch it, but I swear there's a moment or two where the eye shine of the Sith, that red glow fades out and it is just Hayden Christensen's eye color. And then as he says, I'm, you didn't kill Anakin Skywalker. I did the same way. I will destroy you. I swear that eye pop comes back of the full Sith red, like orange red in that moment as the red light uh, of his lightsaber overtakes it. I thought that was just gorgeously done. And I was so sold. I, I wish the same care had been taken for the rest of the series as that like three minute sequence. 
that to me almost justified making six episode series. Not quite, <laughs> but there was a tragic beauty in that moment with how they did the dynamic lighting, the voice work of the voice work of everyone involved, and just let that moment sit and settle was wonderfully done. Yeah, that that moment was taken pretty much straight out of uh, the season two finale of Star Wars Rebels, where Ahsoka and Vader are battling and Ahsoka eventually does the exact same thing on the exact same side of his face, cracks open the helmet. You can see a little bit of Anakin and you get that voice coming through. Uh, with a little bit of the modulation from James Earl Jones. And uh, again, the sound work is fantastic, but um, you don't cast Hayden Christensen to come back without him getting to show his face. And yeah, that moment, that was that was the moneymaker moment of the entire series was having uh, that, that crack in the face or crack in the helmet. And then he's monologuing to him and going full evil. It, it, it was It was just great. And uh, I did laugh in that scene a little bit, not because of the the dialogue, but because prior to that, Disney loves the idea of using the force to lift and throw rocks. I, I don't get it. <laughs> but when Obi-Wan just goes full ham and like lifts all the rocks behind him and starts chucking them at Vader, I was just like, oh, this is like when they said lifting rocks several times in The Last Jedi. Oh, I had the exact same thought. Cause like, because... Vader throwing them and burying him. I went and then Obi-Wan was stuck down there and he's having flashbacks of him and Anakin. And then he thinks of Leia and he gets all the strength and breaks out. I went, somebody watched Spider-Man homecoming. I had the same thought with that too. It's like, Oh, this is the come on Spider-Man moment. Mm -hmm. And then, yeah. And when he lifts all the rocks and just starts beating the crap out of Vader, I had the exact same thought. I'm like, well, again, Luke is, Luke is a loser and proven wrong because lifting rocks isn't going to save the day. Nope. It kills Vader. It saves uh, whatever's left of the Alliance Republic, whatever, man, Luke, you suck. (laughs) Did Obi-Wan never tell you about the lifting rocks training? Yoda tried. Yoda had you balancing rocks. Did you not pay attention? (laughs) <laughs> lifting rocks will save the alliance <laughs> apparently so uh we'll talk to a little bit more on on a obi-wan leia relationship here in a minute but let's let's talk a little bit about let's talk a little bit about moses ingram as uh reva third sister we talked a little bit about this in was it the talking smackdowns episode just recently or think so? no Maybe it was the the episode prior because I don't think I really had the moment to do a Scar Wars with that. Again, the performance was good. It was what it was clearly what they were going for with it. People just were unhappy with it because she was abrasive and it gave a, a bunch of racists and sexists a bunch of ammunition to say a bunch of bullshit that is not true about the performance or the role, uh, saying it was poorly written or poorly acted like none of that's true. Um, the, the only issue I had with it again was the fact that it was very clearly, uh, telegraphed through that opening sequence with order 66 in the Jedi temple. Once we didn't get Anakin or Obi-Wan showing up that she was a youngling and she's going to have some kind of vendetta either against Obi-Wan or Vader. And it turns out it was Vader because she played dead. And, uh, this is where. I do think the writing kind of suffered a little bit because um, Vader says, do you think I didn't know you were faking it? And then he, in that moment tries to kill her again. Uh, But it just seems really weird that to me, that Anakin would be like, I'm here to kill all the children and Jedi. Oh, that one's clearly faking it. 
whatever, and then just walks away. So I feel her performance was mostly one note, but that is not her fault. That is the fault of the script of you need to be angry and have all the men and women in your life consistently throughout every episode tell you no. Because everybody is always putting her down. And I'm like, okay, you do realize she has a lightsaber, right? And she has no issue killing people. In fact, she's even said how many people she's killed. You've even said how many people you've stopped her from killing. I don't have, like, there's nothing wrong with her performance. In fact, what I love is, like, I actually bought back in at the end of the episode six where she actually has these wonderful conflicted moments with Obi-Wan over not killing Luke. Like, yes, we know Luke's not going to die. She's standing over him with a lightsaber. We know Luke's not going to die. And the whole bringing him back, like um, Hagrid bringing back Harry and then dumping him and everyone going, oh, my God, he's dead. Oh, no, he's actually alive. That, you know, <laughs> that is not on her at all as an actress at all. She sold those moments with Obi-Wan at the end where she's like, I didn't do it. Does that make me worse than him? Better than him? What? Because he didn't kill, you know, Vader didn't kill her twice. So she didn't kill Luke once. Does that mean she's Vader? Does that mean she's lost? That was a wonderful performance. My issue is that they, for five episodes, didn't do anything but show she's angry and violent. That's a fault of the writing. And also it's 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 like they didn't know quite what to do with her until they got to that end resolution moment yeah i I mean i feel like they had the uh the ending written out because again this was stretched out from a movie so she was obviously meant to have a role in the movie uh or at least the character was not necessarily moses ingram but they they stretched it out so they could pad out six episodes and it, it did definitely kind of take away from what could be considered character development because, yeah, she is a very one note through four episodes. And then once we get to episode five, when we figure out that, oh, she wants to kill Vader. That's when we get a little bit more nuance in the performance. And uh, let's talk really quickly uh, about the fight between Riva and Vader. I love that fight. Badass. Vader never even busts out his own lightsaber. Like Mm-mm. he's just using the force, stopping her and being like, child, you are not on my league. What are you even trying to prove here? That's when I finally started getting a little bit more on uh Riva's side is that their force whispering through a door through like a blaster door. <laughs> Because like uh, Obi Wan has his like hand on it and he's doing this mental concentration thing and she's whispering to him and back and forth, and then she shoves a lightsaber through it like almost getting him. I was like, yes, <laughs> this is all a play, a trick. <laughs> but yeah, then eventually it ends up in the showdown between her and Vader, and yeah, I, I I was like, this is awesome. He's just like, eh, you're gonna go that. I'm just gonna force block this and force block that and force block here. I'm gonna take your so I'm gonna take your lightsaber, break it in half give you one back oh no i'm gonna take him back again it was very much he was like this is just fun (laughs) (laughs) yeah he he was just uh, he was already he was just taking his anger out on uh losing obi-wan in that moment like just okay yeah i could use a sparring partner right now and just oh it was it was good good stuff with that fight and they brought it back a little bit uh with 
the Obi-Wan fight where he stops the lightsaber with the force while also like trying to swat at him. Mm-hmm. And uh, I like the fact that like the, the inquisitors lightsabers can just snap in half without actually like breaking. And so he had her lightsaber for a little bit mm-hmm. and he's like, uh, he, we're going to do a, a one-on-one duel with these. And again, he just takes her out within a matter of seconds. And it was good star Wars stuff with that. Yeah. Uh, speaking of like, you know, that they're meant to pull apart like that. I, firmly believe emperor palpatine went you know what darth mauls should not have been just one piece we got to make these easily detachable <laughs> if you're gonna dual wield we got to make these come apart better yeah i could see that yeah but again that that, that also means they had to find double the, the kyber crystals mm-hmm. that's fine they were harvesting them in rogue one we know that so a quick thing to point out because we mentioned that he briefly takes uh takes her out in the Star Wars universe, apparently gut stabs with lightsabers are completely <laughs> fine. You live forever. So Qui-Gon is unless just you're... a wuss. <laughs> is that yeah, unless you're a Jedi. I, yeah, I, okay. maybe maybe just hit differently or maybe mm. not all humans have the same anatomy. But, mm-hmm, I mean, we, mm-hmm. the Grand Inquisitor is an alien, so like maybe his anatomy is different. I don't know. But yeah, they, they really went, hey, sorry, Qui-Gon, uh, I guess we didn't treat it in time even though reva never even received treatment she just mm-hmm. literally hopped on a transport and went to tatooine uh, i did notice a slight des- uh, design difference um in episode six she had um uh some kind of like knotted rope wrapped around her middle so i guess if obi-wan had in any manner went over to qui-gon took off a robe wrapped around qui-gon's middle we would still have qui-gon <laughs> Speaking of the moment where she's uh, going after the Lars compound, um, I really did like that moment because she's essentially kind of sort of got the same injury that Kylo Ren has in The Force Awakens. Because I remember people were throwing a fit that an untrained stormtrooper is running around with a lightsaber being like, hey, look at me. I can wield with a who a guy who's essentially a Sith Lord. And in this moment, uh, she's going after two farmers with blasters that they've never fired before, or at least as far as Owen is concerned, he's probably never fired a blaster. We don't know about Baru, but they're, they're holding their own against her because she's injured and she's struggling to maintain her composure while also fighting off potentially bleeding out. Okay. All right. So we have, we have, we have to speak about the, the action of this series when it involves anything but lightsabers no one knows how to shoot it. They have her in a kill pit, which by the way, Baru is ride or die. I love that on Baru is like, <laughs> we're going to defend this place. We have blasters. We have sniper rifles. We have all this stuff right here. She is ride or die. And I love that. It explains why they both died at, in episode four. <laughs> <laughs> Anyone approaches that homestead, we're defending this until we're lit on fire. Anyway, so they are shooting her at point blank range and missing. <laughs> When well, that, Reva that happened and, earlier, that happened in episode five, too, yes, not to interrupt yes. your, your thro- flow. But yeah, the stormtroopers are rolling into this uh, this underground railroad situation for uh, force sensitive kids and their families. And stormtroopers are literally within like five feet of these people and they're missing. No, that, that, I, that, 
that's they were literally they at one point there are several shots okay so it's not one point there's several shots where they are in the same frame two feet away from each other missing until one stormtrooper lucks out like grabs somebody and shoots them in the like the chest and they go down and i'm like what is going on here like how is this I don't understand it at all. I feel like that that has to be like MPAA stuff where, okay, we cannot show them getting children shot on screen. So we're just going to send the blaster fire around them. Right. But then, okay, so this then takes me back to a, a, a big part of the problem that I have with the series is episode two. Episode two is the scumbag planet where Leia is taken to. Obi-Wan then goes to save her. Oh, don't forget. She's, she's kidnapped by flea from the red hot chili peppers in one of the worst film chase sequences I've seen in my entire (laughs) life. Like flea. I, I, he's, he's like 58. I understand that, but he can chase down an eight year old. (laughs) Hey, she's, she's 10. Okay. Or almost 10, maybe. Okay. 10 year old. Yeah. They did keep saying she's 10 of you. Okay. So he, he chases down a child who's not running very fast with like four other people they eventually capture her only to have Obi-Wan rescue her. She run away again and he not be able to capture her. <laughs> but they, there ends up this point where they're running and they're being chased and um, a Rava's plan is going into effect. And there's a rooftop battle with all these activated snipers, like something out of John wick two or three, where everybody's going after him. And I f- felt like I was watching police squad there is a series from the 80s called police squad which is a mockery of police it's great with um frank drebin is the lead, is the main character and he gets up in this rooftop battle with this person where they're gradually getting bigger and bigger guns to shoot at each other as they're hiding behind air vents and eventually the camera because they're showing him like he's over here they're over there they're slowly approaching each other they're getting bigger and bigger weapons and finally the camera shows them up close to it like it shows them in the same frame and they're literally a foot and a half apart shooting over the like same air vent and I felt like that's what I was watching with. <laughs> like, who is to like, how, how are these shots being framed? What is going on? And then eventually it comes back in five where the stormtroopers, there's literally a platoon of them. And there's a platoon of the other people. They've all pulled out weapons. They're all in one tiny cavern and nothing's hitting anything at all. Yeah, uh, it, it really is just not making a very good case for these blasters that they, no. they manufacture in the Star Wars universe. It's the same. The line of sight yeah. must be so bad. It's gotta be horrific. <laughs> it's the same kind of weird design choice of like what they're putting on screen that really tripped me up. There is a point where they're, they're getting, um, I think it's episode three where Leia and Obi-Wan are getting away. They've landed on farm planet. And they reach a checkpoint in the outside of a city between like, like a little bit of like a rise of two hills where there's a laser beams that are down that form the checkpoint. And Obi-Wan and Mudd eventually has to kill all the stormtroopers. And instead of walking around the laser beam, which there's plenty of footpath on either side because it's between two wheels, <laughs> yes. instead of walking around it, he's like, I don't know what we're going to do and blah, 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 blah. And more stormtroopers show up. And that's where Tala eventually shows up to rescue them. And I kept looking at going, you could just walk around that, which then comes back again when they go to the prison planet. And I'm looking and I mentioned to uh, my spouse they're in this underground um, underwater, sorry, this underwater prison complex. And I, there's these large like 
this is large structures that they keep showing in the middle of these open warehouses, these massive open rooms. And I'm like, I, I kept wondering, like, what is that supposed to be? And so I asked, and I'm like, what do you think that is? And eventually Talash walks up to one and they're like, hey, who are you? The stormtroopers are like, hey, what are you, what are you doing here? Uh, check that, you know, we got to check your papers and blah, 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 blah. Because she can't enter the door that's like 50 feet away unless she passes through this structure when she could have walked around it at any point, but because she walked directly up to it, that's means check papers. <laughs> I don't under, I don't, it's the logistical sense of like some of the way they decided to design scenes and like place the actors that confused me. Uh, speaking of the, the checkpoint at the, the farm world, um, the mole guy, I was 100% certain that was Seth Rogen. Oh, yeah. Apparently it was Zach Braff, which explains why they didn't have him laugh <laughs> uh, among other things. Oh uh, yeah. If they would have, that would have, that would have immediately revealed who it was if they had him laugh. But the, the checkpoint there on that farm planet too, that was, that was some good stuff because uh, like when the, the one stormtrooper gets sliced in half, that was, that was great. Oh yeah, that was great. Seeing Star Trek just one half on either side of the laser beam, I laughed so hard. It's like, ugh. And like that was that was all on screen too. Like it, they they literally showed a guy get sliced in half when they wouldn't even do that in the Mandalorian. They cut away when the the door starts closing on the guy. Yeah. Um. So we there. Well, there was one other thing I wanted to talk about with Reva. What was it? Um. That she was badass. Oh yeah, she. Yes, she was awesome. Uh. But they, they were clearly building towards uh, the idea of a spinoff with the way her story ended. And we talked about this a little off air, but I I feel like the way that they would do a spinoff is they would have the fifth brother played by Sung Kang be the antagonist, because I don't think there's any other reason you cast someone like Sung Kang as the fifth brother when he only has maybe five, ten minutes of screen time and he doesn't really ever do anything either. Yeah, it was it was weird to actually see him on screen, and then I'm like, I don't even think he ignited his lightsaber even once. Um, he and the I think fourth sister they called her fifth, third sister, fourth sister, yeah, fourth yeah sister. Uh, played by Raya Kielstedt. Yeah, they didn't seem to know what to do with the two of them because they gave all the really pompous lines to the Grand Inquisitor. <laughs> And so they were just there to provide backup derogatory dialogue to her, which was like, guys, read the room, man. She's younger than you and she's angrier than you. Read the room. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, yeah, that, that's kind of where I'll leave off on Reva's story and her performance. But yeah, like Sun Kang didn't really get a whole lot to do other than be like, know your place, third sister. And you're too brash. You're not listening to the Grand Inquisitor. Like, dude. Go go be Randall from Recess somewhere else, please. <laughs> let's let's talk about the Grand Inquisitor here because uh, I I admittedly am a huge fan of Star Wars Rebels. I think the Grand Inquisitor in that show is fantastic. He's menacing. The performance is great. Here, not so much. I there there the performance was not good. The costume was not good. Fine, they they rounded out his head compared to what it is in Rebels, where it's more oval shaped and tall. But like the costume was just bad. Like they gave him from like top of the shoulders to elbow armor. And it looks so bad. <laughs> like that's all I can say is it just like shorten it up, man. Like the costume designers really, I don't know what the heck they were doing. 
other than they went, they, they were told, Hey, you see this guy in this animated show, make that costume. And they went, uh, okay. And they just made it one-to-one and it just did not look good. Like he didn't, I don't think he ever actually moved his arms. He just always was like straight armed on his sides. And it probably was because he couldn't move them without the suit looking more ridiculous. I, I just kept thinking that it's very uncomfortable, which I don't know if that's the point, but it it just, it, it didn't look right. Like the torso is super elongated. The neck is super elongated. The cheeks are kind of like mushed in and I, I never felt intimidated by him so much as I was confused as to what his plan was. So to discuss his plan ever so briefly, they land on Tatooine in episode one. They're looking for a force sensitive person. He monologues until that person finds him. Uh, Reva is like, hey, let's kill the person. He's like, no, we'll use them. That person is then released because they they're going to find Obi-Wan. Finds Obi-Wan in the middle of the desert. Walks up to him, calls him Obi-Wan. Obi-Wan's like, dude, what you talking about? You're Obi-Wan. No, dude, I'm kind of not. Yes, you are. Hey, maybe don't call me Obi-Wan. That person then leaves the desert and then is shown dead in the, sh- like hanging in the streets. What was the plan? Did they not put a tracker on him? Did they not go in the middle of the desert? When that person runs up to one person in the middle of the desert, did they not think the sniper rifle somebody? <laughs> did they did not use blasters. Do they not capture it? What was the actual plan there? I don't understand. Yeah. I mean, as far as that opening sequence, that, that to me felt like the opening to a movie where they're doing a misdirect and the character was probably, I, I mean, maybe not, maybe it wasn't meant to die that quickly. It felt more like a moment where we were supposed to see like, oh, these are Jedi hunters. They found a Jedi, they killed him, and now we're moving on. But because, again, we're stretching this out, we need to have Obi-Wan invested in something. And he sees, again, that a Force-sensitive person has now been uh, drawn and quartered, essentially. And uh, he's, he's just like, oh, man, I, I definitely can't reveal myself and definitely can't use the Force because they'll find me. Which, again, like that never really comes into effect any time after that. Cause he says, I can't use the force with Leia because they will, they'll know where I am. And he ends up using the force uh, to catch her, which again, they don't really ever. No one triggers like, Oh, Obi-Wan. They, Oh, someone used the force. Reva is essentially uh, from what I remember, she's, she's made aware of what's going on because she sees the blaster fire. She doesn't Correct. feel Obi-Wan using the force to catch Leia who's falling off a roof. And then again, he uses the force several other times, which again, I'm, I'm expecting them to cut to Vader being like Obi-Wan. Cause again, we've, we know that they can feel someone using the force across parsecs, but it, it never comes into play on anything. And that's actually another problem that I have with him leaving the planet is he goes onto the desert. He digs up his lightsaber and he just hangs it off of his hip. <laughs> while wearing his Jedi robes and he's just walking around. In fact, so much so that at one point when they're walking around, Leia like reaches into his robes and goes, Hey, a lightsaber. <laughs> like that. What is your plan? Obi-Wan. <laughs> Couldn't you put in that little backpack you have that little like storage pouch that you've been cutting off that little extra chunk of meat for your, uh, for your animal this entire time. Or, you know, put it, Put it a little bit further back in your belt and cover it up with your cloak. You know, there, there's a few things you could do to make it a little less obvious. Right. But as we then learn what is in episode three or four, that 
if no one is noticing a lightsaber underneath his robes, no one notices a 10-year-old girl casually tucked under his robes when they're all looking for uh, Obi-Wan and a 10-year-old girl in the middle of an underground prison. Obi-Wan pulled off Muppet Man, and I was impressed. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, it's the same episode that we learned that if you're going to be f- uh, flying some kind of... Uh, a fighter jet and you want to shoot one person you fly up above their head 10 feet aim their blasters at them and just unload and don't hit a single shot <laughs> and then you realize you're out of ammunition and you casually turn and try to fly away while the sith inquisitor grabs a piece of debris hits you with it and you die with that moment i was actually really shocked that we didn't see them grab uh, they're flying a wings i believe yeah, I, I was I was really shocked to see that they didn't grab the ships with the force. And then going back to that same moment in the the Citadel or whatever on the the water planet, Obi-Wan stops the the water from rushing into the hallway they're in using the force. And again, no one's like none of the Inquisitors are, are made aware of this. Oh, Obi-Wan's downstairs. They're just still just, just like, where could he be? That guy has a really wide right hip, but that's fine. Um, There's some inconsistencies with the story that again, like if we're nitpicking it, yeah, that's a problem. But it, it, I I enjoyed it It, as much as I am nitpicking it right now and like calling out these little things. It it was a lot of fun and it it was pretty much what I wanted out of an Obi-Wan series. You get that final Vader encounter where Obi-Wan's kind of released from his guilt uh, about Anakin. And he's like, all right, then my, my friend is dead. And, I'm going to call you Darth because apparently I don't understand the title Darth, <laughs> but there, there are a few other side characters. Uh, we do still need to talk about uh, Leia and Luke's relationship here, but there are a couple other side characters that I want to talk about real quick, but I'm going to call a timeout cause I got to use the bathroom. And we're going to go time in. What were we talking about? I forgot. You wanted to touch on some of the other side characters. Oh, yeah. Uh, so we've got the fake Jedi uh, Haja Estri, played by Kumail Nanjiani. Uh, how did you feel about that character? I was, when he appeared on screen, I was like, what? Why? And then, you know, it was like, oh, okay, he's a little one-off. And then he came, I, I, I dug it. He just has this natural likability that he brought to his role. And, you know, he kind of filled in the... Um, Han Solo role. He's a bit of a scumbag with a with a heart of gold. He was actually helping people. Wanted to be paid for it, but he was helping people by pretending to be a fake Jedi. <laughs> and then apparently he seems sold in on the path, which was, you know, I liked it. What did you think? I enjoyed it a lot. I was expecting the, the heel turn uh, either a la, was it DJ from The Last Jedi where he's oh, just like, yeah. oh, I'll help you and then completely ride everyone out. Or he, with what we got, which was him being a full face, but he just was profiting off of it. He was a good guy. And uh, I, I really liked the moment at the end where um, I think it was episode six, where uh, he's telling Haja to get Leia back to Alderaan. And he's like, you have my word. Although the word of a liar may not mean much to you. Obi-Wan was like, it's enough for me. And I, I, that was such a good moment. And like yeah. Obi-Wan could clearly see that, like he has a good heart, but he also likes money. So again, maybe that's why he's drawn to Han Solo and Chewie in A New Hope is he sees that that heart in there because he's seen Haja. So yeah. I don't know. I, I, I enjoyed the character a lot, though. He was a good character. 
And they, again, they, they did a good job of a couple of those fake outs, like the the opening scene of the movie, not the, the Order 66. But when we see the Grand Inquisitor, Reva and uh, was it third brother? I think so. Uh, where they're like, oh, we're we're hunting a Jedi, and everyone, you're everyone's just supposed to be like, oh, they're hunting Obi Wan. They know exactly where Obi Wan is. Oh no! And then we find out it's just some random guy. And then again with this, we have the moment where Obi Wan uh, Reva puts out the the want ad for Obi Wan or the reward, the bounty. That's the word I'm looking for. Uh, she puts out the bounty for Obi Wan while they're on the the scumbag planet, and. Uh, the kid he's that Hodge is working with uh, is like, hey, look, we could have uh, turned him in and made a bunch of money. He's like, I know what to do. And then we see him just outright save Obi-Wan and distract Reva and all that. And it was it was a really good fake out in the sense that like, oh, man, it, he's actually good. Or maybe it's part of a, a longer game that he's playing. Yeah, I, I thought it was good. I didn't have any issue with with anything he did. I was pleasantly surprised by how silly he um, he came off. He's like, because he can apparently use the um, the mental force to trick through microphones across planets. <laughs> I'm like, that's not how any of this works. And why the heck is a Jedi left alive on this planet when the first person Obi Wan runs into is like, oh, if you need help, go to the Jedi. <laughs> it's great. Like, so he's he's apparently a well known figure on this planet by everyone as a fake Jedi who gets people out of there, you know, it's, it's good. So we also had uh Jimmy Smith's and, um, oh, lost her name. Simone Kess, <clears throat> Simone Kessel as uh bail and Bria Organa return as, uh, Leia's adoptive parents. There, there was one thing in this show that I was legitimately kind of upset with. It was how they constantly, we're like, Leia, your parents were Anakin and Padme, but we're not, we can't tell you this. And like her, her parents are Bria and Bale. Like we need to make that distinction, which at the end of the show, they are kind of alluding to the fact that Leia understands that these are her parents, not necessarily her biological parents. And I, I liked that Leia had that realization on her own but they were really leaning into it. Like it was an issue for Leia for a long time. It, it didn't sit quite right with me. I thought the performances from uh, Jimmy Smith's and Simone Kessel as their characters were fine. They, they came in and did what they had to do, but I didn't necessarily like the angle they went with like, Oh, Leia's having an issue as an adoptive child. And which, I mean, it's, it's a legitimate thing that happens with adoptive children. They want to know who their biological parents are, whether or not they like seek out, seek them out to actually talk to them is one thing. Uh, But in this case, like Leia just wants to know who they were. And I I get that. I just wish they would have chosen some like better verbiage to kind of talk about them or to have Leia like legitimately say, like, I know who my parents are. Yeah, I I, I did kind of miss that moment because they it was first brought up that apparently everyone is very aware that Leia is the is not part of the family or something like that from that little mm-hmm. snot-nosed cousin of hers and she did have questions for Obi-Wan which I, I think are legitimate questions that that anyone who has been adopted would want to know at one point 
but they didn't quite as like you said i agree that they did not address that these are this is her family these are her parents quite to my liking it was just kind of left with ambiguous dialogue that oh yeah i'm now going to be the i'm now going to respect them more <laughs> which is kind of nice but at the same time it, it was a little mishandled right yeah, and i mean i did like how obi-wan addressed it too where he's like you know you're you're discerning you're caring you're kind you get these from your mother and then you're you're impetuous you're adventurous you get that from your father and like i liked that moment a lot because the performance that you and mcgregor gives as obi-wan in that moment is really good but again i i wish they could have tackled it a little differently because again like it's not that Padme and Anakin did not want her as their job, as their child. Um, obviously circumstances couldn't allow it. Uh, but I just, the wording of it, I feel like just could have been a little differently. Obviously I don't think they call them like biological parents or they, they don't want to be that hard nosed with it because we're invested with knowing that Vader is Leia's biological father and Luke's biological father. Uh, it just, again, the, it just didn't quite sit right with me. Cause again, it felt kind of disrespectful to the adoptive parents. Yeah. Um, then we got Owen and Baru played by Joel Edgerton and Bonnie. Is it PA's piece? Mm, sounds right. Pisces. I'm, I'm not quite sure, but yeah, I know you had some, some thoughts about Baru. So let's, let's get into that. <laughs> No, I just, I, I mentioned it earlier. I just, I love how ride or die she is. That's just fantastic. She's like, they're coming. They're Sith. They know. And she's like, all right, here's where I stored all the guns. We're doing this. <laughs> I love that it's just so much. Like she doesn't get as much screen time as, um, as Owen does, but the little screen time, she's like, yeah, we're defending him. We're defending him. That's happening. Yeah. We, we got this. This is our homestead screw all the sith that are coming for us soon i think she's also the one who went they're gonna come at sundown which is she's like yeah when if i was gonna hit that hit up this place that's when i do it sunday <laughs> <laughs> i love that and then i really do like to speak of the whole adoptive biological parents thing i actually think that owen had the best part of that where um Rava was like where is the child or whatever like that or something like that to him after she after he, she beats him down and he goes he's my son like full ownership claiming yeah she's she says you really do love the boy like he's your own and he goes he is my own yeah that that is perfect like that's that is the adoptive parent mentality that i, I was going for that i wanted from like yeah. bria and uh bale I really did love that moment because we only ever see grumpy, you know, Owen and especially in four and in this one, but he doesn't see it as like some kind of burden. He's like, no, this is my boy. And I, I love that moment. So yeah, the two of them with brew being just like, I, I kind of almost want to like a little, like they had given her a flashback where it turns out she was some kind of like smuggler, like ruffian kind of thing <laughs> and she decided to retire give us that baru uh prequel series where we we fill in the gaps of how she got those guns and how she's so good with them yeah exactly and then like you know you get your story where uh, obi-wan and owen go off and have their brief adventure and i get my little backstory of it turns out before she settled down and decided to become just a gentle moisture farmer that she was like some kind of ruffian hard drinking gambling person riding out there with her, her t-16 shooting whopper <laughs> 
All right. So I think the last bit of side characters to talk about then would be um, Tala and Roken, which I mean, there's not much to really talk about with Roken. He was more or less kind of like, this thing's broken. We don't have enough time to fix it. And then Obi-Wan goes, I'll buy you the time. And that was kind of his role. But Tala obviously plays a little bit more of a a role. She is a, a defected Imperial officer who is helping with the force sensitive underground railroad uh, situation called the path. And she's played by Indira Varma, who uh, we may know she was the mother of snakes. Was that her title in game of Thrones queen of snakes or something like that? Alara sand. I know, I know that's her, the, her character name, the sand that's snakes. That's what it was. From. Yeah. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. So she was, she was the mother of snakes. She, she, but she was really good in this. And I, it took me a minute to realize who she was because again, she's, she hasn't been on my TV since like what, 2018, 2017, somewhere in there. So it was like, mm-hmm. where, where did I know her from? And then she let her hair down. I was like, oh, it's her. She provides um, coverage for Obi-Wan and Leia repeatedly. That's like her role. And in the encouragement to keep them going. And she's been running this whole, like you said, this whole path system to smuggle out and hide any force sensitives. And, unfortunately her death i believe was kind of telegraphed because she was going she was going to die like there was so many points where she's like i'm going to come up and protect you and then she goes and distracts reva briefly which i really like the strength of will that she showed in the character of okay yeah i'm gonna go and bs bluff my way through this under uh, underwater prison into this room kill a few people keep providing distraction and then I, I don't remember exactly, but like Reva shows up for her and she like, I swear there's dead bodies in the background and she's like, Oh yeah. These people, like I stopped the betrayers and um, Obi-Wan he's over on this other planet and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, you are so lying and you are so about to be dead, but I love your, your investment <laughs> in this. <laughs> and then, yeah, she provides that brief final distraction um, when the, when the compound in episode six is getting no episode five is getting overwhelmed. And was that a thermal detonator? She killed everybody. Yes. So we finally get to see what a thermal detonator can do in live action. Mm hmm. She, she did her role. Well, it was a bit of, um, it was a bit of a thankless role, I think, because it was the whole, it basically the role was, I'm just going to move you from place to place to place until I die. Yeah. And then I'll give Leia her holster, which again, like stop giving everything a backstory, even clothing. <laughs> yep. I talked about it with uh, the guys from the video game club when we were talking about Uncharted, like Nathan Drake gets gun holsters because he kills a guy and he's like, oh, this will look good with my outfit and throws it on. Like we don't, he, he could just need gun holsters and buy them. Why do we need a backstory for the damn holster? Don't forget, we also get a backstory for that brief scene of Luke holding up a model airplane. Yes, yes. Luke's toy airplane as well, which I'm okay. I'm a hypocrite because I like that moment because, again, Luke's even playing with it as an older kid. Like, okay, I I get it. But like, oh, Leia's holster that has the, the slashes in them. Now we know what those dashes mean. And we the we have a backstory as to why she has that holster. Like no one knew that that holster was. 10 years old or 20 years old or however old it was like it, it was just a it was an accessory to hold her blaster why does it need a backstory why do we need to know what those slashes mean it it, it could be plenty of other things as well like maybe it's how many stormtroopers she's killed who cares 
It doesn't need to be this big sentimental piece of clothing that she carries with her for the next 10 years of her 40 years of her life. Well, it just goes, um, it just goes to show that in that writer's room, after they figured out that plot hole of Anakin, you know, Anakin killed, was killed by Vader. They went up there and went holster. (laughs) We need a, we need an article of clothing to backstory. What, what can it be? Why would Luke have a model airplane? Owen hates planes. He wants to keep him on the planet forever. Obi-Wan, bam, solved it. <laughs> yeah, so with that, we'll start kind of wrapping up. But uh, I did also enjoy the moment where Owen lets Luke meet Ben and we get the hello there. And the the tone is so good. It's yeah. it's emulating Alec Guinness so well. And uh, like I looked, I looked over at my wife and I went, he said the thing is it, it was good. And then General Grievous showed up and started spinning his <laughs> blades. But we have to give our ratings. So overall, is this a must see or a pass for you? Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with a begrudging must see. I <laughs> up until episode six, I was so distracted by the weird camera choices, the character decisions, the, the way everything was filmed, and I didn't understand the point of it up until episode six. And then I got the emotional payoff of, I loved the way Moses Ingram gave that emotional payoff scene of being conflicted because she couldn't kill a child. Like that is so like the, like, am I like him because I didn't do it? It's like, that is such a weird interpretation of conflict of faith. And that she did that so well. And then the scene with the Obi-Wan Vader scene, not the fight, which was kind of, eh, it was that scene of Obi-Wan going after Vader and then the framing, the light, the, the way we've already described how beautiful it was. But yes, I did like Owen defending and Owen Brew defending Luke, even though I knew Luke was never in danger. I loved that they gave, a, that it gave Owen and Brew agency of like why they're doing this. She's doing this because he's my kid. I'm going to defend him. And I know how wistful he is. And he actually does love Luke. This is not some duty assigned to him. This is my son. And, you know, in the Qui-Gon moment at the very end, I I dug it. It was like two sentences, but I just, I bought it and I loved it. I loved sassy go, force ghost Obi- or Qui-Gon. Like that was, that was some good stuff. It took you long enough. We've got a long way to go. And if they do a season two and it's just sassy force ghost, uh, Qui-Gon, uh, teaching Obi-Wan more about the force. Like I I'm all in on that too. It's a struggle to get to episode six and I mostly didn't dig it, but the emotional payoff of those moments I enjoyed. I really did. Uh, I I'll give it a, a very, very high praise must see. I enjoyed this a lot. I think if you are a good Star Wars fan, not not trying to say you're not a good Star Wars fan, Alex, I'm talking about the people who are complaining about uh, Moses Ingram and other people like that. If, if you're a good Star Wars fan, this will satisfy that Obi-Wan Kenobi itch that you've been having since uh, the since Revenge of the Sith. Um, I think this was really, really well done there. There are some behind the scenes things that are kind of weird. Uh, there are the occasional like we rushed this through production. So the the CGI work isn't the best, which, again, like why you're doing that with what you're hoping to to become another franchise with Obi-Wan. Um, I don't know, but it is what it is. 
but yeah, overall, I, I really enjoyed the series. It, it did kind of, it touched on everything that I wanted it to touch on. Like Obi-Wan wasn't just stuck on Tatooine for 18 years. Uh, he, he had his own adventures and he uh, learned to cope with his guilt or get over his guilt because he, he had that confrontation with Vader. I do think the first fight with Vader was a little clunky, mm-hmm. but Obi-Wan's still trying to rediscover himself to the point where he can stand up to Vader. I am glad that they didn't like when he was in the fire as like, Oh man, they're going to shorten up his hair and age him up a bit. Kind of like what they did with the emperor. And Nope. They, they just kind of said, Oh, he's got some burns and he's going to go in the back to tank. He'll be fine. But yeah, overall must see. Uh, I, I highly recommend it. It's easily what it, we've had three star Wars series from Disney plus now with, Mandalorian, Boba Fett, and Obi-Wan. So yeah, it's it's number two for me easily, which again, we've we've talked about Book of Boba Fett, but it's not that hard to do better than Book of Boba Fett, in my opinion. But I I, I think the quality is there. I think the storytelling is there. I got I, I actually got a little emotional in the final episode. I think I teared up like three different times between like the the fight with Anakin and, or with Vader and Ben and the talk with Leia at the end where he's telling her about her qualities and uh, her her parents and then again with uh, the moment with Reva where she's talking about like am I like Vader and you know you, you didn't what was what was the line where he's talking about like you you didn't uh, fail them by showing mercy with Luke you gave them peace and I was just like oh that's so good yeah that was a good line yeah because she's seeking justice and vengeance and all this stuff but her her perception of it is so twisted and the only other thing that really, if again, if I'm nitpicking this is what is the point of her going after Luke? I, I guess it'd be to kind of go after Obi-Wan, but it seems like she's still trying to hurt Vader, but she shouldn't necessarily know the significance of Luke. So I, I think that part is still a little lost on me. Oh, if we want to get into nitpicks, I have a big nitpick about that. It's a broken device that basically says, oh, uh, Obi, it's like tattooing. Uh, Owen, uh, 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 son, or Luke, or something child. like that. Yeah, I don't it just says child. It's just child. So she then flies the Tatooine, lands in a random spot, says, "I need Owen. He's a farmer," and then immediately knows it's like Vader's kid. Yeah, the, like, and it, but again, we don't know if that's necessarily yeah. true. Like, we don't know what the significance is, other than she sees a broken message from Bail Organa saying that he'll watch over Luke if anything has happened to Leia and Ben, and she just decides I'm going to go after this kid why it's so it's so weird but at that point i mean then if you really want to nitpick part of the part of the thing i didn't like at the end of the season was we now have another yet another order 66 survivor who's extremely force strong who knows about luke anakin invader and leia and basically has enough of the pieces connected who's floating around out there like and then where were they through four through six? But that's like super nitpicky, and that's like not what I want to label the episode on. I, there's there's a, a nine year gap between the end of this show and episode four, and again they're, they're probably trying to spin her off. Which again I think that's why you cast such a strong actress. So you you catch well. I mean she she would have been like a supporting actress. You, like you still want a good good actor in that role. Uh, but uh, Sung Kang, that's who I'm thinking oh, of. Oh, okay. 
that's why you cast Sun Kang as fifth brother, because again, I think they're going to, if there is a spinoff, I think they're going to make him the antagonist of her show and set it before that character's death in rebels. Oh, that'd be interesting. But I think that kind of wraps it up for that discussion. I, again, overall really enjoyed it. Thought performances were solid. People who did not like Moses Ingram as Riva can go, uh, you know, shove a stick up their ass and walk it off. <laughs> um, Hayden Christensen. Re- oh, we didn't even talk about the flashbacks. Um, I thought it was really weird oh, that they no. didn't de-age Hayden Christensen. Oh, mm, <laughs> mm, 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 mm. that was mm, mm, mm. that was bad. I, I liked it as like the mirroring device, but I, again, the the fact that they didn't de-age Hayden Christensen just felt strange because oh, he's supposed to be nineteen, but he looks late thirties. That was really, really bad. Like I was confused as to heck as to like because he was. Let me see. At the end, he, the last movie was what two thousand four, two thousand five, two thousand five. So it's been seventeen years. So he's was 40 when they filmed this, meaning he was 22, 23 when they filmed Revenge of the Sith. He does not look like a fresh-faced teenager nope. anymore. <laughs> so, which is why I'm, I'm saying, like, why did they not de-age him? Like, I can understand it when they're doing the Order 66 stuff, but the flashback to when he's still a Padawan, that, I'm like, yeah, yeah, you're Disney. The the de-aging thing is like your bread and butter, bread and butter trick right now. Like, you, mm-hmm. you couldn't have shelled out a few extra million for that? No, I mean... That's that's why I'm so confused. I mean, we've gotten young Kurt Russell, young Michael Douglas, young um, Michelle Pfeiffer, young Robert Danny Jr. Where's young Hayden Christensen? <laughs> Unless, here's a thought. They're keeping canon with Disney having really crappy de-aging technology from Rogue One. <laughs> They're like, you know what? That is our bread and butter. Really, well, wasn't bad. that just completely, <laughs> completely CGI though? It wasn't just de aging. Don't forget Plato Leia at the at, for the. Well, yeah, but that's de aging. That was de aging. That or that wasn't de aging. That was a complete. They had a stand in actress, and then they just pasted the Leia face over it. I know. That's what I'm saying. Is that it's just this is what they do. I mean, the Robert Downey Jr. de aging from Civil War was really good. Yeah, it was. I don't know. Yeah, but we I mean, that's that's all I really have to say. The the choreography, we didn't touch on the lightsabers either. Um, there, there was just something a little different about the lightsabers. I, I it took some getting used to, but I, I enjoyed the look of them and the sound of them. And like, I like the sparks that were flying off of them in this. Yeah, the, the lightsabers were nice. I, I like my piggy is was just story choices and design choices, but and that the CGI was so badly done on Hayden Christians and like it was so weird. Well, I don't even think they did CGI on him. I think they just kind of went, oh, he looks fine. He looks good. Maybe they CGI'd the hair or something because they did give him that weird Padawan mouth tail yes. bob thingy. Which I mean, that could have also been know. a wig, but who knows? Yeah, I mean, it looks like they de-aged uh, Ewan McGregor, though. A little bit. I think they touched him up a little bit, but uh, that could also be why they gave him the mullet back, too, is so he had the, his episode two hair. I should say Attack of the Clones, because we've been saying episode six and episode two. <laughs> we want to we should make sure we're clarifying. So Attack of the Clones hair. Uh, I think they also just wanted more. I think they also just wanted Obi-Wan as Jesus memes. But that, that's <laughs> just me. So with that, we will wrap it up uh, again. I was recently on the Casting Views podcast. I my month long co-hosting gig with the No on 15 all cast just wrapped up. 
We talked phases one, two, three, and four of the MCU. So definitely check them out. And uh, I was also on the Father's Day episode of uh, the Cultworthy podcast. So uh, I've been busy, um, but I'm going to be taking a, a break from those because, again, I, as I mentioned previously, I'm, I'm starting a new job. So I, I got to slow down on all this podcasting stuff since I'm not actually making money off of this yet. Uh, fingers crossed, hopefully, maybe someday ever. All that stuff, if you enjoy what we're putting out here, just as good as stuff, if not better stuff, in my opinion, uh, going on in, in those guest spots. No disrespect to my my team here. Um, it just we we have our, our quality and then they have their quality. And I'm just astonished that anyone wants us on their podcast. So with that, uh, we will be wrapping up. I'll put links in the description. Uh, Alex, who do we have for theme music this week? Paul McCartney and John Lennon, fresh off their Glastonbury uh, set on Friday. They're remixing it. Our theme music is fantastic. <laughs> Where are we getting this money? Who knows? That's why I'm, I don't pay any of us. <laughs> we took your script writing duties away, so you're just not going to pay us? Great. Exactly. All right, everyone. Thanks again for listening. Uh, abortion is health care. Please be safe. Please do what you can to... Make your life as happy as you can while also making the world better for tomorrow for those who have it tomorrow. Bye, everybody. Take care. Watch Star Trek. Oh, no. Josh is going to the bathroom. And if he left his headset, in, he can hear me singing. Which... I won't get confirmation until he's back. In case you're wondering, Josh, you need to cut it at 46 to 46, which is roughly when you made that statement. I'll uh, Discord it to you so you're aware of that. We should use Discord more or less. doesn't matter to me. There you are. We do have a Discord. We just don't use it. We eventually should pimp our Discord. Just like, hey, listen, we have one. Come join us. Or we're going to moderate the heck out of you because we're not going to tolerate jerks. So how are you doing, listeners? It's a Sunday morning, roughly 9.08 a.m. as I'm doing this message. If you're using Central Time Zone, Josh and I are Central. Actually, most of the Talking Smack crew is, is Central Time Zone. It's probably be edited maybe later tonight or tomorrow, released on Wednesday. So hopefully nothing horrible happens in the next few days that make us look like jerks. Like it turns out they announced Season 2 of Obi-Wan, when I'm going to say I don't want a Season 2 here in a little bit. By the way, this conversation is mostly unscripted, in case anyone's wondering. Um, I mean, I do have a plethora of notes in my Google Doc here, and we've actually mostly touched on all of them. Three pages of notes. Wow. I really, really should learn to let things go and just enjoy a show. He's going to edit this part out and like shove it at the end of the episode, I'm pretty sure. That's fine. I listen to the episodes. Believe it or not, I actually redo listen to the episodes, consider them, and try to input and make myself a better uh, podcaster. It may not be working, but I do try. And, and you are 100% correct. This is going to be at the end of the episode. <laughs> this is our post credits or whatever, we, whatever it is we call it. Oh boy. So yeah, if this is, this is going to be post credits. So again, everyone take care.